Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Awfully glad that you are uh, spending time with me today. Got to get my headset here working. There we go. That's a little bit better. <laughs> We've got a guy talk or guys who talk. That's going to be our plan for hour one today. I'm looking forward to that. I've got the power panel uh, in place assembling at different times today. We've got Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish here in studio. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Good to be with you, Bill. Yeah. And uh, I've got a surprise return. My name is Bond, James Bond. We've got the return of 007, Pastor Justin Jepson. Hello, Justin. <laughs> Love it. Hey, Bill. Thank you for that. Thanks for still having me back after uh, a long hiatus. Yeah. So it's, I've, missed, I've missed being with you. We with have you missed you as well, just so you know. <laughs> Good. Yeah. And then uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner, I think, is joining us around the 4.30 hour, so... There'll be uh, Terrific. quite a quite quite a squad today. So thank you for all being uh, willing to be here and participating. Now is the time to send your questions over. The text line is open and ready to uh, take your questions. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Yesterday on the show, I was talking about uh, Psalm 51, which is a favorite psalm for many people. It starts with Uh, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's verse 10. When you see that, create in me a pure heart, what does that mean to you? I'll I'll hang up and listen. (laughs) I think most people think of of purity as, you know, uh, never thinking a wrong thought, never saying a wrong thing. But you get the New Testament. The only pure person in the universe is Jesus, you know, part of the Trinity. He was totally pure when he went to the cross. My goal now as a Christian is, is to keep giving myself over to Jesus every day so that he controls who I really am without him to make me into who he is. In other words, have him live through me. So purity for me is not so much do I do everything right or do I never think a wrong thought. It's how quickly do I turn to Jesus when those thoughts or those behaviors come and how quickly do I turn that over and let him begin to think my, his thoughts. I like that. And you know, the re- that's from Psalm 51, where David had committed yes. adultery with yes. Bathsheba. And the reason I can say a good chunk of that psalm is because I grew up singing, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, cast me not away from your presence. Because that's in the liturgy of lots of churches. Yeah. Why are you talking fast versus singing it? Oh, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. And the, the re, we sing that, I think, on the way to communion, if I remember right. So it's in the liturgy of Catholic, Lutheran, Episcopalian churches. And I think the, the truth is, my heart isn't pure, so I'm asking God to create a pure heart in mm. me. And it's a continual thing. I need to do it regularly. I do it every time I take communion. You know, I confess my sins and God created me a clean heart. So I think that's my thought. Okay. I like it. 007. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, I think you know, at the end of the day, we need to also be reading and interpret these psalms christologically. And I and I really see in verse ten uh, the longing for the new, what only the new covenant um, can provide, um, it, which is a renewed heart, a regenerated heart, which is you know a whole the, us actually becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit rather than the that being the physical temple or tabernacle that was. Um, you know, you know, David didn't set up himself. You know, he set up his son Solomon for that. Um, and you know, which I again, the redemptive aspect of that—that—that that, that being uh, the son of uh, from between him and Bathsheba. You know, and so, um, so I think that I think it's him recognizing and longing, looking forward um, to, to whatever degree David understood this or not, but recognizing that that need that he needs that deep work of salvation that begins. Um, you know, at the, at the heart level, and and recognizing and being completely broken with his own, with his own sin and his own uh, tendency uh, towards rebellion, and so, um, so I think that's what he's you know, and that that's why he's saying a broken and contrite spirit you do not despise. That's what God wants. He wants that acknowledgement that that we need Him and that we need a new heart. We need a Savior. Very well said. Thank you for that, Justin. So, how do you wean yourself away from worldly things? Yeah, not easily. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, we all know the saying, you are what you, and you can fill it in, right? Eat, you know? And right. so I think it's, um, we, we we cultivate our appetite um, by what we look at, by what we listen to, by what we actually do physically eat and consume, by what we read, um, by what we take pleasure in. And so um, I think there's, you know, this is where the spiritual dis- disciplines come in. Um, and, you know, there's a Dallas Willard talks a lot about there being um, disciplines of engagement and disciplines of of abstinence. So, in other words, if I have a sin um, of doing something, a sin of commission, of doing what I ought not to do, there there's a spiritual discipline that helps me abstain from that. So, for example, um, eating too much, you know, gluttony. Um, I, I so often I can, I'll be a confess, I can make an idol out of food. And so that discipline of fasting is creating a space for me, not just simply to abstain some, for something, but actually create space for me to feast on someone and, and to commune with God in a way that my soul needs in a way that I'm currently missing. So that way, when I do go back to eat food, um, I'm not idolizing food, but I'm receiving it as a good gift from God. Um, and so uh, I think those are, among other things, and those are those those spiritual disciplines um, of abstaining for certain things, but in order to engage in certain practices that help cultivate our appetite for God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it took me a long time, and I'm still not there, in terms of how much of a treasure is the gospel in my heart? How much a treasure is Jesus as, as the living Lord and Savior? Because I've always liked things. I love photography. I've loved food. I've loved, you know, hunting and fishing. Those can occupy my heart. But how do I get Jesus in there? And for me, the discipline is being with Christian brothers and sisters who hold me accountable, people that pray for me and pray with me. And I have to continually, and when I'm alone, this is the key. Where is my mind going to go? And if I don't put my mind on Jesus, I can drift off into the wrong things. But when I put my mind on Jesus, it's amazing, you know, what can happen. I would say something similar. That is the importance of accountability in weaning yourself away from the world, meaning 
maybe get somebody to be your prayer partner once a week. He gets to check up on you. How are you doing on your eating habits? Did you pray? Tell me about your prayer life this week. Did you look at anything you shouldn't have looked at this week? And to know somebody's going to hold me accountable for weaning myself away from the world makes me more uh, uh, developed in my faith than if I try to do it all by myself. Mm -hmm. Can you think of anything you have weaned yourself away from? I will say for me, I hardly ever go to movies anymore. Mm-hmm. Because Hollywood no longer mm-hmm. respects or reflects my values, yeah, why I would know. I support I them? I know. As much as I love being in a movie theater, I do and seeing the movie and love the yeah. experience, I never yeah. can find something I'm interested in going and seeing. Go to pluggedin.com, and they will tell you what language is in the movie before you see yeah. it. And if I see, they say Jesus Christ is a swear word twenty times and the f word fifty times. I don't want to go to that movie. Yeah, yeah, that you're right, Bill. Raises my next uh, question that just came in. The text line, in recent years, I have heard so many Christians use God's name in a very casual way as an expletive. I've always considered that as taking God's name in vain. Am I missing something? No, she's right. He's right. He's right. She's right. Yeah. That right. One first thing I one of the first things I learned when I was twelve, sitting in confirmation, is thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So you don't say, "Oh my God," when you want to make an expression. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you know my what I do now. I've been doing this for years. When I hear people say that, I stop and I pray for them. I think a lot of them have no idea that they're sinning, Mm -hmm. but they are. It's amazing how in our culture, with as much influence as we've had of Christianity. And some marvelous movies about Jesus, how often Jesus' name is used as a swear word in our culture. And it astounds me that people do that, and yet it's very common. Mm -hmm. People don't seem to be bothered by it. Um, I don't hear them using any other religious leader's name that way. And yet, at the same time, what the Lord finally, I think, got through to me is, well, no, because the rest don't exist. Yeah. I do. And, you know, the other, used to be, I, I don't have cable TV, I just have regular antenna TV. Uh, overwhelmingly, you don't say Jesus Christ is a swear word, but there's one channel, I think it's called the LX channel maybe, and, and they'll leave Jesus Christ in there as a swear word, and you complain, and you hear nothing back, but, you know, they don't do that to Muhammad, but they'll do it to the name of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I think alongside of that that idea of taking the Lord's name in vain, um, it's certainly... Uh, uh, is implying too, and then in the biblical text by what we by by actually you, how we use the God's name. And of course, we know that um, you know the, the the Jewish people, the, the Hebrews, wouldn't actually even say God's name out loud. And scribes wouldn't even write it; they would even leave a, leave a space, <laughs> and because uh, they didn't want to profane God's name. But I think there's also a deeper understanding um, alongside of that that it we actually can take the Lord in vain. Um, by but not living according to the name and whose we yeah. bear, mm-hmm. right? And so it's so I could not say um, in the name of my Savior as a swear word, but my lifestyle mm-hmm. <laughs> could say that. You know, mm-hmm. That makes sense. And so Good I think point. there is a, there is a both, and um, we we sin by uh, using the Lord's name in vain, not only by what we speak, but also by how we live. It's really sure. awful when you hear a TV preacher in the middle of his sermon say, "Oh my God," I'm thinking, "Hello." And this yeah, is on television by a preacher. Yeah. But the opposite end of what we're talking about is where Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me and my words in this generation, you know, I'll be ashamed of you. And think about that for a minute. We have a tendency to, and I agree with you, Tom, don't use the Lord's name in vain. Don't go there. 
On the other end, how often do Christians, are they in a setting where they could bring up the name of Jesus, they could actually speak for him, and yet they're silenced? Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure there's a whole lot of difference in the end. We have to be convicted that that we are going to honor his name and speak it properly whenever the opportunity gives it, comes mm-hmm. to us. Yeah, that, that reminds me, Tom. I um, I play in a, a city softball league with some friends from college, and, and you know, and often I'll, I'll hear a player on the other team use they'll say Jesus Christ as a, as a swear word. And, and I, and I, I don't know, there's something within me. Like I, I definitely have this visceral reaction, but I have to like almost as a corrective and I, I don't want like shout it at them, but I'll say it loud enough and often that I've kind of gotten some looks. I'll just say he's Lord and savior. You know? <laughs> Good for you. And so they'll, they'll say it out. They'll say that. And I'll, I'll just say back like, well, no, here's who he actually is. And you know, Lord hasn't <laughs> and, opened up an opportunity for me to actually enter into a deeper conversation, but I've kind of gotten some looks of over like, kind of like, what, what did you just say? Good for you. My, so, my sister yeah. taught, uh, she's with the Lord now, but my sister taught school and, Eighth grade, I think, and some kid afterwards uh, who, who she had to discipline said, well, Jesus Christ. And she said, no, I think you've mistaken me for someone else. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right, we'll take a little break. We'd love your questions. You can send them over via text to 877-933-2484. We've got Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Pastor Justin Jepson, who I'm guessing is probably in a t- tuxedo right now. Probably. You know. In Istanbul, yeah. You can also email me, Bill, at MyFaithRadio.com. Whatever you're comfortable doing, send the questions over. We'll be right back. show. Welcome back to Guide Talk or Guys Who Talk. They are doing a great job talking today. Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson. Peter Caption will be joining us in 10 minutes or so. And the question that I think is a fascinating question is, we hear about having a work to do in heaven. So what kind of work is there going to be? There's, there's going to be nothing that needs fixing, right? There's going to be no police officers or insurance salesmen. What kind of work are we going to be doing? Greater work than we've ever done in this world and greater work than we can imagine. Because what the Lord has for us or what he intends for us in the future, we can't even imagine at this point. It's way beyond us, but it will be incredibly satisfying. I remember when I was into photography years ago and I had my own little black and I made him in my own little darkroom. I go down there at eight o'clock at night to develop film and to print it and I come out at two o'clock in the morning and I'd say, where did the time go? But I had a, a ball doing it. That's the closest example I have of what it's going to be like in heaven. You're going to be so caught up in it. It's going to be so joyful that the time is going to fly by. But thankfully in heaven, we got all the time in the world. I just want to say that question came in from a very smart listener named Jane. There There you you go. go. We need more like that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. (laughs) Well, you know, and I think Billy Graham, if I remember, I taught that you won't be bored in heaven. There will be work in heaven. My, My only thought is very possibly true. But is there a verse that says there will be work in heaven? I don't know of a verse that says that. So, you know, there may or may not be. I don't know how it works. I know Mm -hmm. we'll worship the Lord in heaven. But is there a verse? Maybe there is, but I don't know what it would be. Hmm. Justin? Yeah, um, that's a great question, Tom. I'm I'm looking kind of in the last few uh, 
chapters here of Revelation and not see anything that's standing out to me. However, I mean, I do know, you know, I think there's kind of that stereotypical vision of us sitting on uh, clouds, uh, you know, like as chubby angels with, you know, little harps and wings <laughs> and singing praises. You know, that someone's like, that's not the vision of heaven. You look, read the last, you know, two chapters of Revelation, you see this beautiful picture of, of a city, of this idea of heaven coming down um, and being married to it, the new heavens and a new earth. And I think that, you know, there's there's a sense in which understanding the full context of, this, of the redemptive storyline of Scripture is that it's, it's the full reversal of not only going back to the Garden of Eden, but now there's a city. And just like Adam and Eve received the, the, the command, the cultural mandate to, to cultivate, to build, so that the, to take what God had given and, and, and to spread that, to spread God's glory, uh, I think there's going to be a new heavenly uh, cultural mandate that, that we're going to be in charge and entrusted to, to cultivate and, uh, and actually partner with God. And I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if that's going to be building, you know, actually building and constructing things, if that's going to be, um, you know, setting up certain worship services and the new, you know, I, who knows what that's going to be. But we do know absolutely won't be bored, but I think there's going to be um, an, an, an activity of, of reversing back to before the curse, because work isn't a part of the curse. <laughs> the work was actually involved and commanded and divinely orchestrated by God before before sin came into the world. Yep, Adam, so, Adam was okay. tending the garden before sin came into the world, so work is a good thing. Yep. I just don't know of a yep. specific verse that would answer that. Mm-hmm. Now, yep. but the key verse is John seventeen three. You know, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Mm-hmm. The emphasis of Jesus is not on what we do, it's the relationship that we have. And I think that's mm-hmm. so important. I remember when I was dating my wife, uh, I had to do dishes at home. I hated doing dishes. I just hated doing dishes. But over there with her, when I eat dinner or whatever, I loved doing dishes with her. Had nothing to do with the dishes. <laughs> had everything to do with being with her. And that's what I think Jesus is talking about. Being with him, being with the Father, yeah. makes all the difference in the universe. I had a guest on that yeah. calls that chore play. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to steal that, Bill. Oh, I gotta that's good, that. isn't it? That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, it's good. All right, here's a question. How do you differentiate uh, doing a discipline to simply gain gain the discipline or the discipline to get closer to God? So A is you're doing a discipline to simply gain the discipline, and B is you're doing a discipline to get closer to God. So if you're in group A, how do you get the desire of group B? I want to use my discipline to get closer to God. Versus just doing the discipline to develop a discipline yeah. and to gain one. Yeah. Well, the discipline. Yeah, that's a good question. The, the discipline. This is where it gets difficult. We want to focus on a discipline: prayer, or we want to, you know, I'd like to fast more, or I would like to this or that. The discipline is literally allowing Jesus then to live through us in the way that we respond to one another. Because for me, it's it's much easier to pray than it is to forgive somebody who's hurt me. It's much easier to go to church and worship than it is to put up with people that are driving me crazy. But it is in those settings that I become closer to Jesus, and it's no longer the discipline that drives me. It's the desire to be like him and to know him and to honor him in what I do. Because disciplines alone, I don't think, motivate anybody after a certain point. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think I think part of it is is recognizing what the fruit 
of that discipline. You know, I, I'm thinking of Hebrews 12, 11, you know, which says for the moment, all time, uh, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And I think that there's a difference between, um, you know, there's a slight nuance here between trying versus training. And I, and I think that a discipline, you know, if I'm trying, um, I'm in group A, so to speak, I'm trying to basically do this discipline with a sense of my own energy, strength, or effort. And there, there ultimately, at the end of the day, there's a, there's a, there is a self-focus where if I'm trying, um, there, I'm actually, I don't need to pray for God. I don't need to uh, read the Bible for God. I don't need to give for God. I need to, all of that, if you replace the word for with the, with the word with, mm-hmm. and that idea that I'm actually training with God. So these disciplines are one of the way, are ways that I actually engage and live life with God. Part of it is just reframing it and, and changing your, your mindset and your perspective. And, and, and again, I think that, Bill, that, that, that there's an overlap there between group A and group B. Sometimes within the same moment of exercising a discipline, I may begin reading my Bible and I'm in group A. <laughs> but the discipline, and I think, well, I don't have the discipline. But that discipline actually precedes the desire. And as I engage in it, and I actually, you know, sure. if I don't feel like worshiping, right, how do I worship well? I need to worship my way into worship. I like that. I to, you know, I, I, I can't do it. I can't get my heart right and then go worship the Lord. I have to just get before the Lord and say, here I am. I'm a hot mess, but I'm your mess. You began a good work in me. You're faithful to see it through to completion. And I need to often just preach the truth of that over my own life. In the context of community accountability, what we've already talked about, and then I think that there is that pos- you know that that transfer that happens between I'm not trying anymore, I'm training, <laughs> I'm training, I'm in training um, right. towards Christ likeness. And I would say too, it's a good question: Am I doing it for discipline's sake, or am I doing this discipline to get closer to the Lord? I think that's a good question. Pray about it, Lord. Help me not be just doing this road. Help me do it. So that's fine. I would just say don't overdo that, because you know, sometimes well, I want to give money to the Lord, but am I doing it for the right motive? Am I doing this to get something back? Or am I doing it for his glory? Or should I witness to this person? Am, uh, but is that doing it for my glory? Is there, You know, if you do that, it can drive you nuts. So just pray and do it. That's my thought. Give, pray, do all the disciplines. Uh, pray for God to help you to do them to, for the right reason. But don't overanalyze why you're doing something or you might not do anything. That's a great point, Tom. That's the wisdom of yeah. Tom Brock. Maybe we can talk about that some more when we come back from break. This whole idea of overthinking things. Yeah. Because I think we can all get caught in a little What's the word? Supercilious? Or what is the word? I don't know. Cycle of of paralysis from not. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me know what your questions are. There are great ones coming in. Uh, Keep them coming. 877-933-2484. I'll give you that number again. 877-933-2484. You can also email me, Bill, at MyFaithRadio.com. Be right back.
Welcome back to Guide Talk, or Guys Who Talk. We've got a great panel today, Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson. I got a question just for you, Justin. Are you ready for this one? He's gone? Are you kidding me? He means... <laughs> we're, we're still here, Bill. Well, I know, but this is talking about uh, introducing a 14-month-old child to God, which is a great question. And he's got kids that age, so I figured he'd be the perfect guy to ask. But, but we're two Lutheran pastors, and we'd probably have a different answer than Baptist-type Justin. <laughs> how do we introduce those kids to God? Let me tell you how we do. Yeah. Okay. It's called called baptism. But we'll talk about that. In yeah. Show. Okay. So anyway, that was the question. And I don't know if we're getting Justin back or not, but yeah, he might have just left. So, okay, cool. He's on a mission. He's probably on a mission. Doctor, no. Yep. All right, here's a question that we, we get from time to time, because I think it's one that keeps popping up, and we're always getting new listeners, so uh, they don't know what the mm-hmm. answer is, right? Mm-hmm. But the question is, cremation versus burial are both okay in God's eyes? I'll give you my quick little answer. There's nothing in the Bible that forbids cremation, mm-hmm. but I'd like to ask the question, what have Christians always believed about that? You know, Hindus cremate. Mm-hmm. Historically, for 2,000 years, Christians haven't, mainly because they want to witness to the resurrection of the body. Um, so uh, personally, I don't think I'll be cremated. I, I'd kind of like to be in that stream of of uh, belief. But again, I can't say it's a sin or it's forbidden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but the, the Bible also talks about the even the oceans will give up their dead on that day. Yeah. So everybody's coming everybody's back. Everybody's coming back, whether you're cremated, whether you're in the ocean, or yeah. whether you're in the ground. It yeah. doesn't matter. And, you know, when Frank, when Henry Fonda died, who was an atheist, you know, his, his, he was cremated and his ashes were scattered, I don't know, over the Pacific Ocean, we'll say, somewhere it was scattered. And I, when I hear about that, I think, does he think he's getting away from God by doing that? And that the answer is, everybody will be put back together. Like you said, Tom, the dead will rise out of the sea, and they've long been, you know, decomposed, but God will put them back. To, and some people think it's ridiculous to believe that, but somebody said... If God made him in the first place, it's not going to be hard for him to put them back together. You know? well, what about people that die in a plane explosion or got eaten by a shark? Yeah. You know, is, is God is able to raise that person? Absolutely. There's, yeah, yeah. There's no person he can't raise. No. Um, interesting additional comment that just came in versus thoughts on cremation versus burial. Is burial more of a testimony to non-believers in that we know we will be raised from the dead? Hmm. That's an interesting question. It is a good question. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, my question, and it's all economics now. My question is, why burn my dead body? No thanks. I just don't personally like it. And and why are people being cremated? Because it's cheaper than a regular burial. I think it's it's kind of financially motivated. But there's nothing wrong with that either. Well, okay. I think the, the burial, here's the problem with cremations. Um, I've got a, I'm going to be doing a funeral and the body's already been cremated. There is, I think, when you push it out like that, there is less of a reception of people to come even for the service. But at this, at, when you go to bury them, you go out to, because even urns get buried, you go out to the cemetery, 
there just aren't a lot of people there anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame because that's the one place we talk about in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ we commit. And people are missing that, and that's really a shame. And so I'm finding out at the end of the service when I do it in a chapel or do it in a church, I will use even some of the burial words that we use at the gravesite because mm-hmm. I have no guarantee who's going out there. And, you know, I kind of like, I don't like it, but I think there's something good about looking down into the dead face of a loved one. It reminds me, I'm going to be there too. Yeah. It reminds me, am I right with God? And you kind of miss that if the person's been cremated. True. Again, I'm not saying you can't do it. I just personally don't want to do it. Yeah. I respect that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's a question. A friend recently asked me if God exists. My friend obviously does not take the Bible seriously. Any recommendations uh, do you have for challenging her belief system? Well, a Christian and an atheist are walking along the the shore, and the atheist is saying there's no God, etc. They come across a a stopwatch in the sand. Uh, The atheist bends down, picks it up, pops off the back and says, look at how intricately designed and how beautiful this stopwatch is. Whoever made this did a great job. And the Christian says, well, nobody made that. What do you mean nobody made it? Look at the gears. Well, I think after gazillions of years of the water pounding the sand, this, the uh, stopwatch came forth. The Christian said, what are you talking about? And the Christian said, you'll say that. Uh, you, it's crazy to say that about a watch. It's much crazier to say it about the infinite universe that is so complexly designed. There has to be a designer. And I, I mean, I talked mm-hmm. to a doctor once who became a Christian at med school, and I said, what converted you? He said, when I saw how intricately designed the human body is, I had to conclude there's a designer to this. So that's what I'd say. I think one of the challenges for Christians is that we have to be willing to engage people that say these kind of things. We have a tendency to back away or to be silent when somebody makes a statement like that. I love those opportunities, honestly, because I will say to the person, that's fascinating. You don't believe that there's a God. What evidence did you come to? What reading did you do? How did you find that out? How did you come to that conclusion? And usually there's nothing or there's very little there. And then I begin to challenge them. So obviously, though, you've read the New Testament in detail. You know what Jesus said about himself. Tell me what you think is wrong about what he said. I've had people look at me like, well, I haven't done that either. And I said, wait a minute, you're basing your whole eternity on something you've never looked at? Look at it, and then come back to me and tell me why you're still an atheist. And I, I also like what's called Pascal's wager. Pascal was a French philosopher. Mm-hmm. And Pascal's wager was to the atheist, okay, if you're right and I'm wrong, I die and there's nothing. Okay, but if I'm right and you're wrong, whoa. Yep. So I, I'd rather bet on the side of my eternity than uh, not. <laughs> yeah, I've got a story from long ago. I might have told it once here, but I'll share it briefly. Back in Dayton, new church, gentleman's coming with both his kids, and I said, what about your wife? Oh, she's an atheist. You know, she doesn't come to church. Turned out he was an aeronautical engineer, so was she. And I said, well, maybe some weekend I can come over and talk to her. He said, how about this Friday? (laughs) So I wind up over at the house on Friday at 7 o'clock, and she's made pie, and we're going to talk. And I I got nowhere for three hours, 7 to 10 o'clock. It is just, I am bombing like I've never bombed in my life. (laughs) And I'm saying, Lord, I don't have a clue what to do with this woman. And she's telling me all about aeronautical engineering. Finally, 
I'm backing up. I'm actually starting to stand up. And the Holy Spirit turns on the light bulb. And I sat back down. And I said, Herb, let me ask you one more question. How many jet engines have you built or designed? Oh, hundreds. You know, how many have you built without looking at the specs or the blueprints? Impossible, she said. Can't be done. I said, you haven't looked at the specs of the Bible, have you? Not only did she admit she hadn't, she started reading the Gospel of John, which I challenged her. Three months later, she got on her knees next to her bed and repented mm-hmm. and received Jesus. A year later, on a flight to Seattle, her husband dies of a massive heart attack, 44 years old. At the funeral, she got up and said, if this was a year ago, I'd be the most bitter woman on the face of the earth. Mm. But I've met Jesus, mm. and I know this isn't the end, mm-hmm. and I know I'll be with him again. And I'm sorrow. I have sorrow, but I also rejoice. And again, if you and I are wrong, Tom, okay, we die and there's nothing. Right. If they're wrong, there's eternity they're going to have it's to It's a long time. For. Yeah. Yeah. In Matthew 5.19, Jesus talks about people being called the least in the kingdom of heaven and great in the kingdom. Do you think this means there will be different levels in heaven? And if you do think uh, so, what about hell? Will hell be the same? I think the answer is there will be varying degrees of reward in heaven. I get that from 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5. And I think there will be degrees in hell because Jesus said he who knew his master's will uh, and he who didn't know his master's will and and rejected it will receive few uh, stripes, but he who knew it and rejected it will receive many. That makes it sound like there's degrees in hell. And now, again, you don't do the Dante thing where it's all spelled out because that's um, human imagination from the Middle Ages. But I think there are varying degrees of reward. Yeah, and uh, the Bible doesn't go into detail on that, but it does state that. And because it states it, I say, yes, there is. Mm -hmm. But I can't give you a lot of detail on what that actually means. We're we're saved by grace, not by good works. We get into heaven simply by the grace of God, Christ on the cross. But the Bible also teaches that we will be rewarded according to our works. I know. And and to add another thing that will confuse everybody, even the good works I do are the product of God's grace in my life. So even God gets credit for that. Yeah. But somehow it does say he's going to reward me according to the works he did through me. Yeah, well, I've always said it's better to be the doorman in heaven than to be the king of hell. Mm-hmm. And so whether I'm at the low end of heaven or the high end of heaven, I'm in the right place. There you go. Let me ask you this, gentlemen. Uh, what is a public witness? Well, it can be a combination verbal, which is always wise if you can share the gospel coherently, appropriately. It is behavior. It is the way you treat people. This hit me the hardest in my first congregation. We had an electrical contractor who was the president of the congregation. And boy, he could use the biblical language. One of his people came over to work on our house one time, and my wife said to him, you must really enjoy working for so-and-so because of, uh, you know, his faith and his values. The guy stopped and he goes, what faith? <laughs> what values are you talking about? He swears at us all the time. So the problem is he had the right words. He didn't have the behavior. The two have to go together. There you go. I can't top that, Tom. <laughs> you can't top that? No. That's so not like no, you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think what I'll do is I'll take a little break. We've got some great questions coming in, but uh, I don't want to get started uh, with so little time before the break. So we'll take a break a minute early and then we come back. We've got time for a few more questions. Send them over 877-933-2484. 
Again, 877-933-2484. You can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish uh, are here. We've uh, lost Justin, and I don't think Peter's showing up. So oh, my. It's That's a shame. It's the Tom and Tom Show. We like that. I know you We do. get to talk more. We'll be right back. Turn out all the lights, singing from the bottom of her heart. What's up with Welcome back to Guide Talk, or Guys Who Talk. Still have time for your questions, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. All right, when you guys were growing up, I mean, on Sunday morning, you would drive by ballparks. They'd be completely empty, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And um, there were no planned kids' sports on Sunday morning. Nope. Right now, there's hockey practices and games that start right 8 o'clock Sunday morning. They do. Yeah, so what's going on with this over-programming of sports and activities on Sunday? Mm-hmm. Well, I think sports have become, forgive me, more godlike in our culture. Because my wife is a principal, and she said that what amazed her is in one school, she had more than upper-middle-class parents and kids. At second grade, second grade, Bill, the parents were already pressuring the kids what college they were going to go to and that they had to get straight A's to get there or they had to exploit their athletic ability because then they could get a scholarship. I'm thinking, in second grade, I didn't even think about those things. I was worried if Mighty Mouse was going to be on TV (laughs) on Saturday morning. So I think that there is a a new focus for a lot of parents, and a lot of parents have simply drifted away from the church and the Word of God. I know a Christian man. uh, I don't doubt his faith at all, but years ago, I think they... His kids weren't coming on Sunday morning, and, and why is that? Well, that's when they have their soccer practice. I'm thinking, Dad, could we set some priorities for our kids? And to miss church from now on because your kids have practiced soccer on Sunday mornings? I, I did, you know, I just, uh, something's wrong. Our oldest son was a tremendous athlete and uh, could have done a lot of things, tremendous kicker. But when he was, he was in soccer, the coach wanted to have set a Sunday morning practice. And I told the coach, I said, that's fine, you go ahead, but Matt will not be there. Oh, there he you will go. be on Sunday school. Guess what? They didn't have Sunday morning practice yep. because suddenly the star wasn't there anymore. Well, wouldn't it be great if lots of Christian parents did that? Yeah. So here's another question. How do you convince someone who says, if you don't do good things, it doesn't matter if you believe that God will forgive them and let them into heaven? That's just a good works. Yeah. yeah kind of a mentality, which is pretty prevalent in the world. I don't quite understand the question. One more time, Bill. So how do you convince someone who says, if you do good things, it doesn't matter what you believe? Oh, that oh, God I see. will forgive you, I got and, you. and get you, and yeah, let you Everybody's heaven. going to heaven as long as they're good. If and, they're doing good things, well, it doesn't matter what you believe. Pope Francis, at the beginning of his reign, or whatever they call it, said to the atheists, just do good and I'll see you there, meaning heaven. Okay. So there was the Pope saying, it doesn't matter if you're an atheist, et cetera, et cetera, as long as you do good, you'll get to heaven. Did anyone run that by God? Oh, he didn't. 
Yeah. That, that's a hor- horrible denial of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that we're well, saved by Christ and grace and not exactly. by our good works. And nobody comes to the Father except through me, said Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is the doorway. And the problem is there is a, a movement, even in Christianity, as well as on the periphery, to push Jesus out of the picture. Let's let's just make it good works. Let's mm-hmm. just be good people. Let's be loving and tolerant. And although those things are fine, but they don't get you into the kingdom of no. God. The bottom line is, you know, and that's why I tell people, you need to learn how to kneel now because you will kneel before Jesus one day. And he is the final king, and he is the one that we get into heaven by. And when I stand there before God the Father on, on that day, it's not going to be anything I've done. It's going to be the blood of Jesus. Amen. Not me. And and we want to say to people, well, as long as you're good, you'll go to heaven. That's the problem. Jesus said, no one is good but God alone. Right. So if you're trusting your goodness to get you into heaven, good luck, because you don't have goodness. Right. We need Christ because we're sinners. And that's the problem with certain religious systems that sometimes they're much easier to subscribe to than a personal relationship mm-hmm. where God has an opinion on your life. Yeah. Right. Might, he might contradict your will. Mm-hmm. If you studied the world religions, and I've had a privilege to do quite a bit of that, I don't know of any religion that puts as many, how shall I say it, um, responses on you as Christianity does. Jesus says, you've got to believe in me. You've got to repent. You know, you've got to walk in the kingdom or faithfully in the kingdom of God. I mean, there's a lot of those, not a good works thing, but these are things that put us in the right relationship with the Lord. Buddhism doesn't do that. Hinduism doesn't do that. None of those do that kind of thing. The problem with, and if you want to talk Islam, Islam is a perfect outlet for people that have a lot of anger because your enemy is your enemy and you can deal with that. Jesus says, forgive your enemy. And we're saying, do I really want to go there? That's the power of the gospel. Thank you, Tom Parrish. Uh, Another question that's come in. I've got um, this dilemma where a friend was recently healed from cancer and yet another friend was not. It's hard to reconcile sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just did a funeral last week of, God bless him, the man that has volunteered for 11 years to do our finances for the TV ministry I do. Mm -hmm. He has put in so many hours, but... 13 years ago, he was on a construction site. He was a construction worker. He had a heart attack. He said, I went through this dark tunnel. I get to this room. There's two figures in the room sitting at a table saying, you have to go back. Yeah. And um, miraculously, he came back after after what he went through. And, you know, I, I and but this time he died and he did not come back. So why did one person die of cancer and the other not die of cancer? God's timing. You know, we all have our days are numbered by the Lord, and and one of, we're all going to go. So why did one guy get, get healed? Well, because it wasn't his time yet. Well, you and I have seen it, Tom. I mean, we have prayed over people. i prayed over people many times. i prayed over elderly who were quite sick, and they got healed. I mean, these are people that had already lived their life in most cases, you know, 70s, 80s. Uh, now that I'm in my 70s, I can say that, but they've lived their life. And then I buried 35-year-old mother, a mother. Mm-hmm. I buried children. I've had four funerals for children, even though we prayed over them and we asked the Lord for healing. Mm-hmm. And then I've had another child we prayed over, and they were healed. Mm-hmm. I don't have that answer. And I try to tell people, Jesus knows ultimately what's best. And even in this world, we're here for a specific period of time. We don't understand it, but it's his will, and he's working in it. And I like to say to people, when we get to the other side— we will say, 
why did I scratch and claw to stay down there? Yeah. yeah. When we look at Psalm uh, 139, verse 16, when it says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. Mm. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Mm-hmm. Isn't that enormously comforting mm-hmm. to all of us? It mm-hmm. is. When people yeah. say, well, you know, he died so young. Well, he died so young from a worldly perspective, but not yeah. from a heavenly one. Amen. Right. And Psalm 139 is the reason we don't believe in abortion. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because we've always taught and believed that the Lord himself stands outside of time. He's not governed by time. He is the infinite Lord. He is omnipresent uh, in all places. He knows from beginning to end what your life and my life are going to be all about. It is within the framework that we have that we want to make the most out of it. And tragically, when children, and you guys, and Rosie knows, I mean, I lost my first grandchild um, prematurely, and he was only six weeks old. Did I like that? No. Was I frustrated with the Lord? Yes. Did I have a lot of tears for about a year and a half? Yes. But in the end, the bottom line is, that child was the Lord's creation. He didn't belong to me, and the Lord called him home. Mm -hmm. Here's a great question. Regarding with evangelism, the difference between the verses talking about casting your pearls to the swine and God's word never returns empty, when is it not beneficial to share God's word? I think Jesus uh, ministered to people, but then he said, let the dead bury their own dead. uh, Disciples, shake the dust off your feet if you witness to them and they're not accepting it. I think after you've witnessed to someone, you're not obligated to keep at it with them if they've they've decided not to uh, receive Christ and don't cast your pearls before swine. Yeah, I think there's a place of being foolish in that. I think we do this with family members. I mean, I've still got family members that I've been praying for for 40 years. Me too. And some people say it's casting your pearls before swine. They've had an opportunity. What about all the non-believers? The only conviction that comes in my heart, and I can't prove this biblically, the only wrong attitude I have in witnessing is my attitude. Why am I witnessing to this person? Am I doing it because Jesus loves them and because they're lost and they really need to hear the gospel? Or is it my way of controlling or manipulating a situation? And so I have to go back and look at my own heart. Um... Because I can always, i got something to say. I can always share the gospel. But sometimes I don't always do it with the right heart. And that's where I have to go back and repent and, and go back and look at, why am I doing this? And uh, when the Lord, when I do it with the right attitude, it never comes back void. Don't always get person converted, but it begins a process that I can't control. And eventually I've seen a lot of them come to Christ. Go ahead, Tom. Well, I was just going to say, sometimes silence is more... Uh, convicting than our words. I, I had a. I know someone who's a, a, a loved one, who uh, very unbiblical, although claims to be, and biblical that is, and sh- she said something once that was just awful, and I bit my tongue and I didn't say a word. And she looked at me finally and she said, "You don't agree with that, do you?" And I said, "Nope." And I think my silence made her think more mm-hmm. than had I gotten into the argument. Interesting. There's a place for that. That's good. Great comment here. We have opinions to speak about God, but God only has truth to speak to us. God doesn't have opinions. It just is. (laughs) That's good. That's a good word. I need to put that on my wall to remind me every day when I wake up. (laughs) When you do wake up, what's your first thought? My first thought is, if this is the day, Jesus, that you return, help me to be ready. Okay. Boy, my first thought... A lot of mornings is I, I kind of have a discipline 
where I try to spend about an hour with the Lord. Mm-hmm. So after I brush my teeth, et cetera, et cetera, I, I'm thinking about spending that time with the Lord. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to be real holy about that. I'm thinking evil things also uh, during the day. <laughs> but that's a good one that I'm thinking. That's yeah. why I have you on speed dial. I no. can always call and say, Tom, repent. There you go. It works for both it, of us. It works, Tom. Is it you talking to God, or is it you with your Bible open, reading I, God's I, Word? I or? try a uh, mon- both. Monday through Saturday, I try to spend a, an hour a day with the Lord. Don't always make it. Uh-huh. But a lot of that time is me reading the Bible. And then a good chunk of it is me praying. I like to get on my knees and pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to listen to the Bible, Bible.is on my iPhone. And I just listen to scripture. So, And then sometimes I, I sing to the Lord and I take the guitar out. And so I'll put all those together and that's my hour. Nice. With the Lord. Nice. Appreciate you guys. Thanks so much for being here. We had uh, some great questions. I don't know if you guys have a favorite question that came in today. I think one from Jane was really Cremation is always a fun topic. Yeah, it's always a good one. <laughs> All right, that wraps up God Talk or Guys Who Talk. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Uh, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, hour two is just ahead. I've got Noah Filippiak coming on. He's going to talk about his new book, Beyond the Battle, and also Pastor Rusty George, all the way from Southern California with an incredible initiative you're not going to want to miss. We'll take a short break and be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.